Since 1971, Beauty O Books has specialized in ornithology and natural history. They're a small, family-owned and operated mail-order bookstore with the largest selection of new, used, and rare birding and ornithology books in the world and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Find field guides, travel guides, ornithology, natural history, humor, even children's books to inspire the next generation's love of nature. Visit beautyobooks.com to find everything you're looking for, and ABA members receive 10% off. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm your host, Nate Swick. Birders sometimes think of taxonomy as a niche interest, the splits and lumps that we obsess over because it means more species or or less commonly fewer species on our individual life list. But taxonomy is a critical conservation tool as well, and some birders might not be as aware of this angle. Take, for example, the California gnat catcher a little songbird found throughout Baja California in Mexico and into the ABA area in Southern California. Birders who have been around a while might remember that the California gnatcatcher used to be considered a subspecies of the black-tailed gnatcatcher, and it was split by the AOS, well, then it was the AOU, back in 1989, almost 35 years ago, feels like yesterday. At the moment where the California gnatcatcher became a species in its own right in the eyes of the U.S. government, it was as a threatened species, given instant protections by the Endangered Species Act. A lot of the sage scrub habitat in Southern California was designated as critical habitat for this species. And as Southern California is one of the most highly developed parts of the nation, the populations of the species are small and fragmented, and what habitat remains is always under threat from real estate development interests. When the bird was split, this sort of resulted in what became known as the the gnatcatcher wars, wherein developers sued the government even, basically saying that the California gnatcatcher is not a full species and this should not be protected. They lost. But the protracted battle was one of the underappreciated side stories of the mid-90s assaults on the Endangered Species Act. So taxonomy matters for more than just your list. And so this month, we got another bit of taxonomy-flavored conservation news with the announcement that the California spotted owl, after efforts undertaken for the last two decades, will finally be the recipient of Endangered Species Act protections. California populations of spotted owl are, of the three subspecies, the least numerous and the least genetically viable, so the most uh, threat for extinction. And even further, there are two distinct populations within that subspecies, uh, a coastal southern population and a Sierra Nevada's population too. The decision is not completely without a little controversy. The new rules allow for limited take of these owls, which means inadvertent deaths when those occur during the efforts to implement fire management plans, in short, removal of brush and trees. Intense forest fires, of course, uh, likely driven by a changing climate, are probably the biggest threat to these owls. It is a start, though, and it's amazing to someone like me, who remembers the spotted owl issues from decades ago as one of the first big environmental issues that I was conscious of, that so little has changed, or maybe so much. At least we're at least we're giving these populations the protection they deserve. On the show this week, I promised you some Columbia content. I'm bringing it to you. My time at the Columbia Bird Fair last month was amazing. Not only the birding, but the people involved in the event and the work that they're doing to promote birding as an opportunity to change the story of that nation. I met Jose Martinez while I was down there. He is a collie birder. He's one of the folks in charge of putting on the event. He joins me to talk about how to build a birding community from the ground up in what just happens to be one of the world's great biodiversity regions. All that after this week's Forever Birds. 
This is your Rare Bird Focus for the third week of March 2023. One of the more head-scratching records of the year so far comes once again from Florida, which has had more than its share in 2023. A young yellow-headed caracara was photographed in Miami-Dade County in early January. The photo was only made public recently. This is a widespread and eclectic raptor found throughout South America and expanding, albeit slowly, northward in recent decades. There are previous accounts of the species in the ABA area, one each from California and North Carolina. Neither of those were accepted by local committees because of the seeming unlikelihood of such a bird traveling unassisted. But it wouldn't be the first time that such records are the precursor of actual natural vagrancy. That said, it is South Florida, where there are seemingly as many established exotics as native birds, such that Miami-Dade County gives the impression sometimes of an open-air aviary, so it's not impossible to think that this bird was captive at some point in its life and brought to the region like so many others are. So, a lot of questions, not a lot of answers. We'll see what happens with this one. It's an interesting find anyway. One other fascinating and more recent record, an American pipit was photographed at Alakai Swamp on Kauai in the main Hawaiian Islands this week. This is only the second record of this species for the Hawaiian Islands, and the first was an individual collected from Curry Atoll far to the northeast more than 60 years ago. As far as can be determined, this is only the second vagrant passerine observed at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park since a barn swallow in 1984. Those are the recent highlights, but for the full list, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash RBA. You can also follow along with all the Rare Bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and ABA community. Listeners may remember that I recently attended the Columbia Bird Fair in Cali, Columbia, in the Calca Valley between the Central and Western Andes. It was a phenomenal event made all the more impressive by the interest shown by the Colombian birding community and the hard work of volunteers who put the whole thing on. I am joined today by one of those volunteers. Jose Manuel Martinez is a Colombian birder. He's on the leadership team of the Columbia Bird Fair, and he's had a front row seat to Colombia's fascinating rise as not only a birding destination, but a birding culture. Welcome, Jose. It's great to talk to you again. Hello, Nate. Thank you very much. It's nice seeing you. Absolutely. Um, can you talk a little bit about your own birding history? How did you become a bird watcher? Uh, well, I became a bird watcher not in Colombia, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I was living in the UK. I used to live in Reading. Um, and I used to go on Tuesday night to a pub where people will, will go to speak Spanish and English. Um, and people will stay dancing salsa after 9 p.m. <laughs> so uh, one day I just got there and then a random person came in dressed as as if you know, when they go bird watching, basically, mm-hmm. with the, the camouflage the and yeah. all that. <laughs> and it was 10 p.m. and we were supposed to be dancing salsa. And I thought, this guy's probably in the wrong place. Um, <laughs> so then, you know, ten, 10 minutes later, um, I just went to say hello. And I asked him, like, where where have you been? And he said, I've been bird watching. And my question was, what what is bird watching? What, what are you talking <laughs> about? Um, and then he told me everything about it. I asked him to... Um, allow me to to go with his uh, group of people next time and I did and I absolutely fell in love since the moment I I did it so yeah and so you came back to Colombia and what was the birding situation like 
when you yeah. when you came home so i became a birder in 2010 around mm-hmm. that time and i lived in the uk until 2014 when i came back every year to visit my family between 2010 and 2014 um, basically there were no birders in colombia to be honest um, apart from people that were in the universities you know like uh, biologists and people that basically do that for a living uh, to a certain extent um, but in that process, in 2012, I met Carlos Mario Wagner, who is the director of the Colombia Bear Fair. And he was one of the few birders that were, you know, going out every week and pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. Um, someone introduced me to him and told me, look, there's another crazy person <laughs> like you in Colombia watching birds. And uh, yeah, we, you know, we became friends immediately. So he's been my mentor, my teacher, my friend since then. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a, a wonderful trip really. Yeah. How many, um, how many serious birders were there in the country and, and how did you sort of get around, hear about notable birds? Was it just like a text chain or did you, would you kind of build this birding infrastructure kind of from scratch, I imagine? Yeah. So in 2012, there were, there was no infrastructure for birding like at all in Colombia. There were a few nature reserves from Proaves that were focused on protecting land around Colombia and they will bring some foreigners into the country. But I reckon there was no more than 60, 70 birders in in the entire uh, country. Okay. Um, in fact, when we did the first bear fair, there was less than 50 people in there. Uh, <laughs> and probably eight or nine of them were people like myself. I am a computer science engineer, so, mm-hmm. you know, not related to biology or ornithology right, or, right. or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's probably the most interesting thing about this sort of the growth of the birding community in Colombia is that it's driven in large part by people who are not academics, not guides, not, um, you know, people you think of when you think of birders in Latin American countries. It's by just folks that are very similar to the birding community that we have here in the United States and Canada. Um, People who don't do birding for a living, but enjoy birding on the weekends, enjoy hearing about rare birds and and planning trips around finding birds and things like that. Um, how, How has that part of the birding community grown in Colombia since 2012? Well, it's grown massively. So I attended the first Colombia Bear Fair as a volunteer. There was 50 of us in there, 60 maximum. So the bird watching trips was just two or three trips (laughs) and there was everyone going on the trip because there was not many of us. (laughs) Um, And we will go uh, on specific roads to go birding. There were no places with feeders or Mm -hmm. anything like that. It was just, you know, let's go out and see what happens. Uh, Situation in Colombia back then was not great in terms of uh, peace, okay? So we had the guerrillas, we had the narcos and that kind of situation didn't allow people to visit many places within the country. So we had to choose wisely, be careful because security was not you know, guaranteed to a certain extent. So it was kind of weird for me to join that group because most of them were ornithologists or biologists. Mm -hmm. And I had no clue about (laughs) the minimum stuff of 
a bird. I I could barely say that a bird had um, wings and that's it, really. <laughs> so I felt so out of place when I went out with them. But the community was very, very nice. They were super friendly. They explained and helped. And then I realized there was one birding guide, like a field guide. There was only yeah. one, a book created by Hilti many, many years ago that was like massive, uh, yeah. really, really heavy. Yeah. Like um, a backbreaker. You, you yeah. Backpack. <laughs> and we had to carry that book you know, everywhere we went because there was nothing else really. Um, not many people used to use eBird, for example. So people will have their lists on Excel files or, yeah, or notepads yeah. or, you know, notebooks. I started with a notebook and for the first four years, I just used to write notes. Um, and that's the way I learned. Um, so since 2015, that was the first time where, where we did the bear fair. Until now, the change has been so, so massive. So yeah. just to give you an indication, the last global big day that we did um, in Colombia had 23,000 birders. And the, and the one we did in 2015 didn't have more than 20 birders outside of, of the academia, okay? Yeah. Which is just insane, really. Yeah, it seems like there are a bunch of things that happened, like all all one after another, uh, to help grow the birding community. Like there was the the peace deal um, with uh, with FARC that you know made a lot of parts of the country more safe. There was the publication of a Spanish language field guide, a good quality Spanish language <laughs> field guide for Colombia, yep. which is so unique for Latin American country. And two or three rather. The, the rise of eBird, I don't know, it made it easy to find birds and made it easy to submit birds and keep track of all your lists. All three of these things happened like boom, boom, boom. And the Columbia birders just like grabbed all three of them. Yeah, I think you can add a fourth to that one and is the, the, the birding festivals. So, okay, yeah, the, uh, you know, it was a place for all the birders to go and talk about the same things, right? Uh, you know, to share stories, to tell, look, I've been there, I've seen this bird. Uh, before that, uh, it, it wasn't, we, we didn't know what was happening, we didn't know if a birder was watching a super cool bird in another part of Colombia, even in another part of the city, because there was just a few of us really, uh, doing this. Um, and then a few uh, local bird clubs started uh, rising within Bogota, within Medellin and Cali, which are the three biggest cities in the country. Um, and the, the things that you mentioned and the, the, the fact that people could go together, meet other birders, understand what was going on. Um, and as you said, I think... A, a big trigger was the fact that we could visit our own country, that we could explore yeah. it and visit places where we've always wanted to go, but we couldn't. Um, so it's been it's been such a, a, a growth within the last nine years. It, it's yeah. almost unbelievable, really. Yeah, it's like they stuck the whole birding history in a microwave in, in the last exactly. you know, five years and like boom now you've got exactly. this fully fledged birding community full of birders all around the country that are that are communicating with each other and finding all sorts of cool stuff and going all sorts of uh, neat places um what motivates 
Birders in Columbia. You talked about how you got started in the UK. There was this sort of there's this, this rarity finding is a big thing that cert, that motivates UK birders. Uh, U US birders. I was talking to um, to Gunnar from Swarovski, Gunther from Swarovski, and we were talking about what motivates birders. I, I feel like migration is such a big thing that happens in the U in the United States and Canada. We're you know waiting for these birds to come back every single year. What do Colombian birders look for? What are you going out there and trying to find when you go birding? Okay, so initially people just want to see as many birds as possible. Sure, and yeah, easy to do in Colombia, I guess. <laughs> exactly, because we have so many, sometimes it's a bit overwhelming for yeah, people. No doubt. Because they go out and they I, they need to identify 65 different birds in, in one morning, which yeah. is way you know too much that's a good morning yeah but there is something that i believe drives most people and it's um a, a, a cultural change mm -hmm. within the last 20 years we've always had uh narcos and drugs and you know killings and kidnappings and horrible stuff like that and when you go birding it's like Everything is just beautiful in terms of nature. And then you realize that there can be social changes and that by going to a specific location, you can help those local people to have a better way of living. And then in the process, you start going to identify rare birds. Uh, when, the when the migration arrives in September, everyone is like, oh my God, the, the warblers are here. It's like, you know, Blackburnian warbler, which is probably the most common one <laughs> in, in, in my it's area. <laughs> it's like, oh, they're here. Welcome. And the summer tanager. And it's so I think it's like a lot of motivations, but in general, behind the reason of going out, there is a purpose for most birders. And that's why so many non-academia people are, are joining these doctors, uh, business administrators, lawyers, people that really want a change within our country. And that's, that's beautiful, really. That's, that's, it's very, it, it's lovely because you go after a rare bird, but in the end you say, oh, we found a rare bird near a location where we can help a family that can have a, a living out of uh, birds, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, no, it, that's that's really neat to see that not only is there, you know, this this internal birding community, but also there's this huge opportunity for for you know to welcome travelers from other parts of the world to Colombia because you have so many special birds and. Excuse me. When we were in the bird fair, you know, a lot of the places we went were people's gardens, people's backyards. Like they're not necessarily, I mean, they're just regular people. And they realized that, hey, I put some, uh, with a relatively minimal investment in uh, fruit and whatever, hummingbird feeders, and you've got, you know, multicolored tanagers coming to your backyard. <laughs> exactly. And you've got, you know, so many people that want to come down and get, uh, get a photo of that bird. It's, it's, it's amazing. There's like this whole combination of the birding world in one little one little place there's like the local birders and there's the opportunities for traveling birders and all that is kind of mixed in together and kind of swimming in the same pool yeah and it's like just just to give you um a, a bit of history it took me eight and a half years to watch the multicolor tanager in field 
Okay. Yeah. And now there's about six different fincas, places where you can go with feeders and you can see the multicolor tanager within two hours on your first visit to Colombia, which is mental. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and the same happens with the toucan barbet, for example. Yeah. Uh, that, to, yeah to, to Carlos Mario Wagner, our director, it took 22 years to see that bird. Okay, and yeah. now you go to Doña Dora, and you can see six toucan barbets on the same branch. Yeah, you know, as if they were mannequins. It's just incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. Doña Dora is going to have them like on her shoulder, like an old timey <laughs> pirate here before too long. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean that that sort of discovery, that sense of discovery in your own country, must be a really exciting thing. I mean, that's got to be part of the reason what's what's driving so many regular people to bird as well. Just like the fact that these amazing things are in your, literally in your backyard. Yeah, in, indeed. And now there's like, we are starting to explore our country way more. For example, mm -hmm. um, I'm going in two weeks to a place called uh, Argelia um, in the south of Cauca. It's like four hours away, uh, four hour drive from Cali. Okay, it's up in the mountains near Aparamo. And we're going to try to find one of the rarest hummingbirds on earth. It's called the Gorgeted Puffleck. Yeah, and yeah. Only about 25 people have seen it, uh, it probably on Earth, which is mental. And we yeah. couldn't go there before because of the gorillas and all that. So now we're just going to go on an expedition to find that bird. And it's so exciting. It's incredible. But we go there with a purpose because mm -hmm. we want to help uh, locals. We're going to bring some books for them. We're going to bring some binoculars for them. And we're going to try to teach... Um, kids from the local school so they can create the first ever birding club in that area of the country. And if we succeed, you know, who knows what they're going to find. They will probably find a new Aunt Pita for, for <laughs> uh, you know, science. You never know. You never so know. So it's just really, really cool. I, I think it's really exciting also that, you know, the as the country opens up, there's going to be people that are not just birders are going into some of these places, but you know, people that have perhaps less altruistic intentions for these areas. You've got people who want to be resource extraction, essentially. Indeed. And you know, Colombia has got this golden opportunity in birders, especially to get into these places and set the seeds of this kind of environmental ethic of protecting these places before the big money comes down there and tries to take it all away. Um, that's got to motivate a lot of what bird fair and what you all are doing. Indeed. Indeed. That's, that's exactly what we want. That's yeah. what we want to achieve. We do the bear fair. So people have fun, but there is a, a, a much bigger purpose be behind all that you know we need to create conscience we need to educate kids we've got a social responsibility towards earth to protect the birds in colombia because the fact that we have such biodiversity and so many birds it can also be a danger because if we don't protect them it could be the place where there are the most extinct birds ever <laughs> yeah. you know yeah um, the so the coin yeah but the beauty of it is that we started Berfer was the first event that we had in Colombia. And nowadays we have between 18 and 23 bird festivals throughout the year in Colombia. 
the country is divided in 32 counties. And nowadays we've gotten in 19 counties a different barefare, which is fantastic because it's, it's really moving all these and it's creating borders every day, every week. We have people joining the, the WhatsApp chats and the communities and people that, you know, that just want to make a difference within the country and they want to do it by having fun whilst birding, which is yeah. fantastic, really. Uh, so what was, is, was this sort of the motivation to start the bird fair? Was this sort of what everyone had in mind when they, when the bird fair created or was, is this like a completely different direction that is beyond your, beyond your imagination? It's, it's always been the purpose. It's always, mm -hmm. I was not part of the team that created the bear fair. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was Carlos Mario, but his um, ideas have always being this, you know, he wants to transform lives because of the birds and he wants to transform them in many, many different ways. So, yeah, we want to have fun. We want, we want to go to the bear fair and have as many lifers as possible and visit as many places as you can. But there is a purpose uh, behind that and it's always been the same. What's been happening is that within the last eight years, it's changed so massively that now we're starting to do things that perhaps we thought we could do in, in 20 years time um, or, or maybe even more. You know, we, we thought, okay, we can plant a seed and then see what happens in 20 years time. But now it's just, it's just growing massively and we get yeah. uh, help from people like you that come here and visit us and then tell the story of what's happening in our country and then we get help from different sponsors so we can continue doing that um, and most of the sponsors we get for the bear fair do not actually support the event what they support is the activities that go around the event throughout the year to contribute to uh, to, to people really to our country yeah I, I think some of the things that you that you all have done is are really impressive and, and sort of inspiring. One of the, the first things that we did when I, when I arrived there was we spent that, that first day uh, watching some of the, the programs um, with the, with the children. Um, the fact that, you know, Guardian uh, de los Aves and uh, other programs are like reaching out to kids all over the country and providing them with the resources they need to become birders or, you know, even just interested people in nature. Who knows if they're going to become serious birders like you and I, but, you know, they <laughs> might, you might down the road become someone who's an advocate for their region, their part of the world, the wildlife there. It doesn't necessarily have to be birds. It really feels like you guys are taking the long view, which is the harder view. It's harder than the kind of the, the short-term benefits, but you're doing stuff that's going to pay off, not next year, but five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road. Um, exactly. Yes. At least you hope so. Yeah, it's it's actually paying off already, Nate. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, we call it the Berfer Chicos. Chicos is like um, a kids, I would kids, say in yeah. Spanish. Um, it started um, with a dream. Basically in 2014, 2015, there were no kids birding around yeah. the country. As simple as that, like zero, none. Uh, they were non-existent. So what we did is that we uh, brought kids from rural areas uh, from within Cali 
and took them to an event and we just made it fun so, so mm-hmm. i think you experienced that event yeah yeah that no, day you know amazing but what you saw nate were kids talking about their lives and talking about the fact that they take pictures and all that when we started there were no kids that could tell those stories yeah so it was just um someone standing in there and saying look there is this world <laughs> there are there are birds yeah. and then that person was fantastic because they got all the kids involved and what happened in the end at that day is that the uh teachers from the schools that attended went to us and said we want to know more we want to include these within the program of education that we have can you help us so then we uh, asociacion rio cali which is the ngo that organized Colombia Bear Fair, started going to schools to teach the kids about birds. And we told them that they could make a living out of it, that they could protect um, their land, that they could cultivate plants that would help the birds, uh, you know, that they could do so much more. And within the last six years, I reckon we have a bit over 100 birders below 15 years old, which is incredible. And for your information, Nate, we've got four kids that started birding when they were 14, 15. Now they've started university. All of them chose uh, baccalaureate degrees related to uh, conservation. Yeah. which is incredible. So one of them is doing biology. The other one is doing zoology. The other one is doing environment protection. And the other one is working on something related to politics, but connected to yeah. uh, conservation. Yeah, it's all, so all plays a role. It's already started, Nate, and we we feel so proud and excited and it's like i get goosebumps just by talking <laughs> about this because it it really it is changing our country it's changing our culture culture and birds are doing all that right yeah the, well the, the buy-in from you know all levels of you know the community and the government is really impressive it's clear that folks at columbia saw we have the highest list of birds in the world and said, this is, this is something we can build on and are basically, you know, letting people do this in a way that is going to motivate. It seems to me like one of the most important things you can do with those kids is just bring them together because you're building these, you're building new communities with these children, these, these children that grow up to become college students and are still connected to each other and still working together and doing all these things as well. It's just so powerful. Yeah, so now kids are getting involved. For example, the field guide that you mentioned that came Mm -hmm. out in 2013, that was in Spanish, it's on its third version. And it's got drawings from two kids. So the author of the field guide went to the kids and told them, would you like to be in there? And the toucan barbet, for example, there is a drawing of the toucan barbet made by a 14-year-old uh, really? girl in the field guide, which is mental. So the community is getting involved and is getting, you know, all the kids to participate in everything we do. There are four birding clubs for kids around the country. And one of those birding clubs um, started knocking on doors uh, to kids from Brazil, Ecuador, Argentina, and now we have the first ever birding club for South American kids that has got kids from pretty much every country except Paraguay and Bolivia. Yeah, we'll get there. 
<laughs> and and but we will get there. So and I think there's about seventy kids around South America that belong to that club, and they do like talks, and they you know they they go on like virtual shows on teams, and one of them says, "Oh, I just saw this bird," and they show the photographs. It's just incredible. I've been on the on on their shows, and it's yeah, it's so beautiful, really. Yeah, uh, how how exciting is it to see? parts of Colombia continue to become accessible year after year. And do you feel like that accessibility will continue to improve in the country? That's a, that's a really tough question. So I do hope that's the case. Um, there is something worth mentioning. Our government still doesn't really believe in, 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 in birding and all this. So the transformation came from the locals and came from because we got help from the private sectors and the private companies that invested money in all of this. But the government is realizing that there is a huge potential on that and they are starting to open it up to, to, to that. So right now, uh, because the government is not that involved, they're not protecting certain areas where, where it could be huge for birders. Makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, we still have a bit of uh, drug cartels and that kind of thing happening. They are not everywhere nowadays. They are in in specific locations around the country, but the government is not doing anything to eradicate that at all. So it's a tough (laughs) question to ask, to be honest, Nate. I do hope we go that way. Um, But right now, we cannot explore every bit of our country. Right now, we can't. However, those areas are very remote areas, you know. So if you want to go to that, the, the trip that I mentioned earlier to find the rarest hummingbird ever, it's a seven-hour drive from Cali. Mm-hmm. And not every tourist is, is going to do that, you know, because right, it's, it's, be, yeah. it's, it's not that accessible yet. But I do hope that's the case uh, in a few years' time. Well, hopefully some of these kids that um, you're helping out will will play a role in, um, you know, helping to make some of those places more accessible just by opening up a lot of communities to birding, to birders, to the possibilities that, that you know, not just ecotourism, but becoming a spot for birders even in Colombia, Colombian birders to, to access. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of benefits there. A lot yeah, of people that can... So- um, What's happening right now is that the kids from those areas want to go to the big cities because they Mm. believe there are bigger opportunities, opportunities, okay? So what we realized without without anticipating this is that when you help kids, they tend to fall in love with their own land and their own nature. And when that happens, they start falling in love with their own culture. And they want to preserve their food, their stories. Um, it's, it's just way bigger than just birding uh, and just birds. And it happened very recently with an indigenous community that attended the Colombia Bear Fair this year um, in, in the north of Cauca. It's called Toribio. And there was a, a teacher at the Bear Fair telling the stories that they are actually writing books for kids to learn more about their culture and to stay in there. And if they manage to stay in there, they will protect their legacy in so many ways. Food, culture, music, 
birds, uh, everything really. So, as you said, if we go and do, uh, if we plant a tiny seed, then the communities take care of everything else. We don't really need to make a, huh. a big effort on that side, which yeah, is beautiful. They know what to do. Yeah, they know what to do. They they know way more than we do, really. Jose Manuel Martinez is a Colombian birder, one of the principals involved in the Columbia Bird Fair. It is a it is a fascinating event, a wonderful birding community. Uh, thanks for letting me be a part of it this year, and, and best of luck going forward. I, I can't wait to see what is in store. Now, thank you very much, Nate. It was lovely having you here, um, and thank you very much for your yeah. time. Well, twist my arm trying to get me a Columbia. Hard, hard to, <laughs> I'm hard to convince. <laughs> <laughs> The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support it is to join the ABA. You get a lot of benefits, including our magazines, discounts to partners like Beautio Books, Corner Lab of Ornithology, and more. You can find out how to do all of that at aba.org slash join. Special shout outs this week to Alexandria Chamberlain of Middleport, New York, Richard Drummond of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Matthew Flintz of Coralville, Iowa, Jeremy Grog and family of Columbia City, Indiana, Samantha Matchefs of Chesterfield, Missouri, Laura Rensbury of East Sound, Washington. Washington, R. Soto of Norman, Oklahoma, and Deborah Werner of Cottage Grove, Wisconsin, all of whom recently joined the ABA, noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much. Welcome to the ABA. Executive director of the ABA and executive producer of the podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who remembers observing the waterfowl wars, which eventually devolved into swan to swan combat. Technical production is from John Lowry, who once called his long hike into the Amazon to record nightbirds, the army of the Potomac. Additional help with social media comes from George Munoz, who, in an attempt to find a vagrant Eurasian duck in the ABA area, called in the National Gargany. You can find us online at ABA.org and on social media most everywhere as American Birding Association. But on Twitter, we are at ABA. I propose that any attempt to see all three species of Sayornis flycatchers in the ABA area should be referred to as be all that you, Phoebe. Or, or not. Probably not. Questions, comments can come to podcast at ABA.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy, everybody. Till next week.